Hello everybody and welcome to the Fuds on Film podcast. I'm Scott. I'm joined today by Drew. Now, bear in mind none of us has been in New York before. There are other Broadway shows, we'll have to find out how to get tickets. There's also a lot of street crime, but I believe we could watch that for free. I'd also agree. <laughs> And the uh, movies <laughs> referenced in that particular joke were, well, Gremlins, because that's what we're going to talk about. And I suppose, because we don't really have any other particular lead into it, we might as well just start talking about the first one in the series, which is Gremlins 1. <laughs> Why not? Shall I do that? Yes, you should. Excellent. I like doing what I'm told. Uh, what present do you get the child whose father thinks he has invented just about everything? In the case of patent botherer come travelling salesman Randall Peltzer, you take a detour through Chinatown and come home with a hitherto unidentified creature called a mogwai. Basically, a biologically functional kid's plush with the cute dialed up to a living, a mogwai seems the ideal family pet. Placid, cuddly, and on the face of it, pretty low maintenance. As Randall gifts the creature, now named Gizmo, to his son Billy, Zach Gilligan... No, Galligan, sorry. He does, however, have a set of rules by which the young lad must abide. Bright light is debilitating and sunlight can be fatal. They don't react well to water. And you must never, ever, under any circumstance, feed them after midnight. Unless, of course, you want a plot to happen. In which case, have at it, mate! It's not long before Billy inadvertently breaks two of those rules and Gizmo first multiplies into an assortment of deranged clones which then themselves mutate into a murderous menace the likes of which the sleepy town of Kingston Falls is entirely unprepared for. Small town stereotypes inevitably fall foul of the gremlin army whose amusingly anarchic endeavours see them dispatch the townsfolk in a multitude of inventive ways all the while having a whale of a time as they manifest their brand of madness in a mode somewhere between Halloween's Michael Myers and the cast of Jackass. Indeed, <laughs> the most fun is to be had spending time with the Gremlins, rather than any of their human castmates, or Gizmo for that matter, which makes them either the movie's best asset or its biggest problem, depending on how you look at it. If you've somehow avoided Gremlins so far in your life, I defy you not to have a whale of a time as we watch Leader Stripe and his cohorts trash bars, run snowploughs through houses, and launch old ladies out of top floor windows at the end of turbo enabled stair lifts. If you're expecting the same level of gink. <laughs> If you're expecting the same level of engagement within the human cast as they make their way enthusiastically, yet ever so slightly workmanlike through Chris Columbus's script, well, it ain't going to happen. Not that I suggest Zach Galligan be the one to lay waste to a cinema or attempt to strangle a dog with a string of fairy lights. We'll leave that up to Garmin. But you get where I'm going with this. <laughs> Our- <laughs> There's an inside joke in the some <laughs> Deep cut. For, well, it's not even a deep cut. Harking from. <laughs> it's more of a. If anything, it's a shallow cut at this point. If you. If you. If you weren't in the room with one of the three of us in the last ten minutes. It's barely even a razor burn at this point. The, yes, the odds are. Oh dear. Harking from a time where. Eastern motifs in popular culture were convenient shorthand for, quote, mystery and intrigue, unquote. 
the quantum of their day, if you will. <laughs> Gremlins is an odd film to revisit now. Having set the box office alight and captured the hearts and imaginations of a generation with its blend of how is this PG violence and <laughs> screwball antics, a quick demisting of the nostalgia goggles reveals a family film that's not really suitable for the family, a horror film that's not really horrifying, and an overall package which is all right, I guess. Then again, I say the same about a lot of films from this period, most notably this movie's 1984 stablemate Ghostbusters, and enough people disagree with me on that one to suggest I may be entirely incorrect, if not a misogynist. Very much a product of its time, Gremlins perhaps benefits most from remaining comfortably in the memory, rather than being subject to any kind of rigorous review in hindsight. And, yes, it is always midnight somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> yes, um, I, I do disagree with you a bit, Craig Not on Ghostbusters, which I have mentioned on this podcast several times Was fine, and still is fine mm. Gremlins, I always liked a great deal more I still like Gremlins a great deal It's, To be honest, I find it more horrifying than almost any actual horror I've ever seen But that's not quite the the praise for it that it, you might otherwise think Um <laughs> There are certainly horrifying moments, you know, like a gremlin's head roasting slowly on a fire, or the ending where the uh, the lead gremlin melts in the most disgusting manner. Mm. I just think it's fun. It, it, it's one of only two or three um, things that Chris Columbus has been involved with that's been any good at all. So, you know, it's got rarity value. Mm. <laughs> I I love gremlins. I love the, the anarchy of it. I don't particularly disagree with you that the the humans in it are fairly anodyne. They're kind of they're kind of superfluous to the movie's purpose. Yeah, they're serviceable enough for what they need to do. I, I don't have any particular criticism of them, but I, I just find Gremlins fun. The the Gremlin rag, Jerry Goldsmith's theme for this, is one of my favourite movie themes ever. I just find it really fun. What's it called? The Gremlin rag. Yes. That's fantastic. Um, I, I really like that bit of music. It's, I think it's it's just, again, it's just so much fun. And then some bits of this just really tickle me. Like the carol singers being gremlins. Maybe <laughs> one of my favourite scenes in film ever. <laughs> and, and, and the moment shortly after that you referenced that had me laughing just when you mentioning it with um, the old biddy going flying out of a top story window on the end of a, a chairlift. That, that still packs a punch. There's no denying that that still packs a punch <laughs> even now. Yeah. I, I just think this is a, is a real classic. I don't have much to add to what you said other than that I just enjoy it a, well, a great deal more, I suspect. Uh, there are one or two issues I have with it. Like, for instance, the what you mentioned to do, Craig, the, the whole sort of oriental mysticism thing. Mm. But it's <laughs> such were the eighties. Eh? There's not a lot of it. It's hardly big trouble in little China or anything. Mm. It's kind of bookends it, and there's a voice over the start for some reason. It doesn't bother me as much as many, but I don't know why it's there. It's setting up a story that it late, that it immediately goes on to set up anyway. Yeah, it's not what the theatrical release of of Blade Runner, is it? But it does no, kind of no. <laughs> stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, um, so I'm just. Wonder why it's there because it's, it's not necessary. You understand everything within the next minute or two, anyway. Yeah, beyond that, man, I, I do. I just appreciate. It. It's kind of surprising coming from a Chris Columbus script, to be honest. So I think Joe Dante, the director, maybe had a a great deal more influence on it. But it's just, 
everything's so solidly set up in the script and so much of it pays off. Even something as simple as the film basically have has Chekhov's swords literally hanging on the wall. Mm. <laughs> um, but the film does shows them in a way that it sort of draws attention to them without it being ridiculous. So you don't suddenly wonder later on, where did a sword come from? Mm. But at the same time, the way it's introduced kind of gives you an idea about how things are in that house and the sort of slightly shabby state of repair it's in because of Rand Peltzer being otherwise occupied and stuff. There are bits like that, like basic mechanics of the script that I think are done really well. And the rest of it I just think is incredible fun. Yeah, I'm probably more on Andrew's uh, side with this, although ultimately um, I've it's not a film that I've thought about in a good long while, actually. Mm. Uh, I saw this donkeys ago, not, never really come back to it. So it was, I, I don't know if I was surprised to find it to be just as much fun as I remembered it being, like, what, 20, 30 years ago, whenever it was that I last saw this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Agree with all that you've saying. Uh, I really like the design of the Gremlins. I think that's uh, that's really this movie's trump mm. cards. They all just look great, and it, they're just visually interesting little creatures, mm. um, much more than the um, Furby esque <laughs> Mogwai itself. And yeah, their their hijinks is just incredible and fun. Repeating all round as well. Yeah, yes, that uh, the soundtrack's incredible. Um, very hard not to be humming that for the next couple of days after <laughs> to watch that. Um, yeah. Um, Columbus, Chris Columbus. Now, here's an odd one, because I this might be the only Chris Columbus thing that's any good at all. Um, uh, and it's it has elements, and I think it must be more from Joe Dante's script. Obviously, we're going on mm. to talk about Gremlins 2, which has all the meta of it. And I've seen some reviews where kind of it, it kind of ties that back into it kind of starting in this film with things like the whole uh, Chinese uh, mysticism thing being played up as though it's a bit of a trope and there's lots of kind of I can kind of see where it's coming from from that but I suspect it didn't come from Chris Columbus I'm pretty sure it came from Joe Dante because uh, yeah Chris Columbus is not someone who's proven to be of any good whatsoever with anything mm. else that he's written so probably more of the director's influence than the writer's there I would suspect um, but ultimately it doesn't matter um, it's a lot of fun and uh, yes very well worth looking at if you haven't done so already uh, but yes how it's a PG I don't know but yes it's a lot of fun well it's not <laughs> yeah, anymore um, it's a, it's a, it's been reclassified as a 15 now which makes a bit more sense uh, yeah. in, in a sort of in a temple of doom kind of way I think oh I can't remember was this uh I know Temple of Doom was the sort of precursor to PG-13, but I don't know if this was part of that conversation as well. Am I right, or am I imagining that? It was, that? yes. Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. It's, it's, I think I just wrestle with who is this film actually for these days. It's not that it's not a great deal of fun. Like, I do I do agree with you guys. Um, it, is, it is still immense fun. I'm just not entirely sure why it is I'm rooting for the murderous bad guys. <laughs> Um, because they're funny while they're being murderous bad guys that's the thing true. I think I, I watched the gremlins behave especially in the scene where they're basically trashing the bar and like shooting each other and doing all kinds of like crazy and I think to myself ah this is probably how we ought to behave around about the time of the inevitable end of civilization, <laughs> which I'm pegging at about June well I don't know I, no I'm not a pessimist like you Drew I'd say July oh. <laughs> um, I'm going to give us a month extra uh, I like to think I would behave that way Eventually um, But yeah, I don't know It's just I just 
there's a real sense of discord around this film and maybe just overthinking it. It's there just to be enjoyed and if you can if you can get on board with the notion of rooting for the bad guy, then yeah, the Gremlins in this movie are having a lot of fun. I'd also convinced myself that this was a, a Jim Henson joint when it came to the uh, puppetry, the actual Gremlins themselves, and it's not. It is a, a studio whose work I actually am completely unfamiliar with because I looked it up earlier. I can't remember the name of it now, so... I'm not entirely sure why I bothered to look up early because um, I didn't even make a mental note of it. But it's uh, like really fantastic work. And I think, and, and we all know how reliable IMDb trivia is, but a couple of weeks ago when I looked at this last, the whole thing of the rules around uh, not feeding them after midnight and the, uh, no, sorry, the reversion to bright light, sorry, was predicated around the fact that they weren't sold on the puppetry effects and so it was going to be more convenient to keep them largely shrouded in darkness, which uh-huh. works absolutely and yeah, like the, the, the puppetry, the gremlins themselves, the the uh, the life force for for good or bad therein is absolutely the trump card in this film. Like the anarchic joy of of mm-hmm. their behaviour is absolutely the reason to watch this film. I'm just not entirely sure what the point of it is. Um, <laughs> Does it have to have a point? It's just entertaining. Exactly. I think there's. Do you know what? Looking at it now, there's a message there in America wrestling with what made in America means anymore because I think. <clears throat> this is at the point at which the consumer market in America was concerned about uh, sort of, well, not Chinese imports at that point, but certainly Eastern Japanese specifically imports, I think, largely perhaps in the automotive market uh, and the sort of uh, this, this, the snowballing influence of Toyota, probably, uh, amongst others in the uh, automotive industry on which America had for so long pegged so many of its uh, or so much of its pride but um yeah if that if that ends up being uh, little mental green creatures babbling nonsense <laughs> and shooting pensioners out of top floor windows on uh, chairlifts then cool um it's good it's, yeah. it's yeah i'm not in love i'm not in love with gremlins anymore but it's yeah i i don't want anyone to get the impression that i'm saying if you haven't seen it before don't watch it i'm just no, i am and you're talking about the themes and things there. I certainly read a lot about like the, the themes of like anti-capitalist and like, it's like yeah the, the sort of industrial legacy you're talking about there, Craig. And I can see bits in there, but I don't think they're there particularly strongly, and I don't mm. actually care. I'm just watching these wee things cause mayhem and loving it. Yeah, uh, glad you mentioned the puppetry. I had been going to, and I'd forgotten I was going to come back to it, but. Some of the effects, some of the stop motion doesn't look great, but mm. the puppetry stands up so well. It looks Yo. so good. 100%. And it's 100%. what the whole film's about, and the sequel, but the, the puppetry is so good. Mm. One last thing I want to mention too, because I want to bag on Chris Columbus, because Chris Columbus, he directed Home Alone films, which I think are actually all right, um, mm. but he didn't write them. Maybe that helps. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he wrote this. And that's the only, those are the only two things of his that are tolerable because he also wrote, if you recall, The Goonies, which is the worst of things. <laughs> which is 90% shouting. Intolerable nonsense, that film. 
that's got nothing to do with Gremlins. I just wanted to bag on <laughs> the Goonies and Chris Columbus, as we've done in a previous episode, because, well, I hadn't got it out of my system yet. Chris Columbus, journeyman, safe pair of hands. I'm not going to rag on him for that. Would I have? Would I like Chris Columbus's career? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't want people to get the impression that it's not that I. I it's not that I don't enjoy Gremlins. Uh, if you said to me, look, and Ghostbusters was massively formative for me. It was my first trip to a cinema ever. And uh, I no, probably my second. But yeah. yeah, I probably have to question my parents' judgment on that because I <laughs> would have been five. <laughs> and I don't know that I want to show Ghostbusters to my son, who's five. Different times, listeners. Different times. But yeah, Ghostbusters was the top of the box office this year, if I recall correctly. And I would say to you now that if you're going to watch either Ghostbusters or Gremlins, watch Gremlins, because it's a great deal of fun. And the anarchic element of Gremlins, uh, I don't think, will ever tire. It's just the rest of the framework around it is kind of perfunctory to a point where I find it difficult to recommend. But yeah, that's Gremlins, man. Shall we move on then to Gremlins 2? I think we should probably do that. Sequels are not a rare thing, especially not sequels. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's what I was saying. Uh, I'm not sorry, thing, sorry, right? sorry, Drew. I'm not that. I'm not laughing and belittling. I was just that completely caught me off guard. I'm not being patronising or anything. That has genuinely just tickled me. <laughs> okay, um, Craig tickled. Um, yeah, sequels. Are <laughs> <interview>. <laughs> I'm not going to finish that. You start. <laughs> oh my days! I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll exit the room. I'll go and get another can of coke. Oh, don't actually room, please. I want you to hear what I have to say so you can respond to well, it. Okay, okay, work. I will. That, that's very Thank kind you. of you to say because you would be well within your rights to tell me to f- off. Oh Not dear, tonight, Josephine. I am no, I am very sorry, Drew. I forgot myself for a moment there, and something about that absolutely tickled me, and I'm not entirely sure I can art- articulate why. Thank you for your patience. Thank that's you for okay. your understanding. You you are a better man than I. I'm not argue. Sequels are not a rare thing, especially not two very successful movies. 1984's Gremlins made over $200 million. But fourth wall breaking self referential meta sequels, those are less common. Like many sequels, Gremlins 2 The New Batch is similar in both structure and content to the original, only bigger and more. Yet it's also not similar. It's really, really not. The reason for that is returning director Joe Dante, who didn't have the best of times in Gremlins due to the difficulty of working with the creatures themselves, and wasn't at all keen on returning for another film. After trying, and failing, for a number of years to create a sequel, Warner Brothers came to Joe Dante and more or less gave him carte blanche if he were to direct. So... What do you do if you're making a sequel to a film where the special effects and puppets cause you lots of headaches? Well, obviously the answer is you add many, many, many more puppets. <laughs> uh, you also roundly take the piss out of the original, cram it full of jokes and create a live-action Looney Tunes adventure that not so much breaks the fourth wall as shatters it entirely. And it, it is glorious. 
The setting this time is New York City, where Billy and Kate work in the Clamp Centre, and ahead of its time smart building, whose automated systems ring particularly true in 2022, by featuring many solutions to problems that don't exist, and being phenomenally unreliable. One of the great surprises of Gremlins 2 being its unexpected prescience. Amongst the tenants of this Trump Tower-like building, Daniel Clamp, played by John Glover, was based on Trump, though Clamp has some degree of self-awareness and is even vaguely likeable, so he's not a strong analogue. <laughs> it's one of the tenants is Christopher Lee's genetics laboratory, Splice of Life, Designer Genes, where Billy re-encounters Gizmo. Before Billy can successfully get Gizmo out of the building, the unfortunate little critter gets wet once more, and the whole rigmarole begins again, only this time within the confines of a skyscraper, though it's in the middle of a huge, densely populated metropolis, and the stakes are somewhat higher. But, really, in its plot, which is entirely solid, and very much in keeping with many sequels, it's very much more of the same. And that's fine. The film functions very well as a traditional sequel, and if that was it, it'd be acceptable, if perhaps forgettable. Gremlins 2, though, is unlike any other sequel I can remember seeing, especially to a major studio film, and on top of the traditional structure, it's a layer of anarchy, winking and meta-commentary. The film picks holes in the plot and mechanics of the first film, features film critic Leonard Maltin reviewing the VHS release of Gremlins, cocks a snook at movie merchandising, and finds a fifth wall to break, which shouldn't even be a thing. (laughs) On top of that, there are gags every minute, or perhaps even more frequently, in dialogue, props, character names, references and more, and everything from beakers of acid carrying the warning, do not throw in face, (laughs) to the determined indifference of New Yorkers to weird (laughs) happening on the street, and Kate beginning to recount how yet another national holiday was ruined for her by childhood tragedy. It's hard to compare Gremlins 2 to Gremlins because they are so similar yet so different. The original is a better film and a classic, but each time I watch the new batch I like it more, and I am now far removed from my largely underwhelmed first impression. Though, to be fair to younger me, I was ten. Now I know better, and so should you. Yeah, I must have watched this when I was a kid, because I remember bits of it here and there, but uh, if you'd asked me to describe what the whole plot of it was, I couldn't have given you much much more than uh, it's kind of like the first one. Um, so it's quite a surprise to go back and watch this and find out just how dense it is. Um, it feels more like a um, naked gun-esque Zucker uh, Abrams production than it does um, almost anything else. Um, there's so much going on in the background. There was some of that, to be fair, in uh, Gremlins as well. Lots of little background gags and, and things going on uh, there, but nothing like to the scale that's been managed in Gremlins 2, um, which was a bit of a revelation. Um, but it did make me want to go back and actually I'll need to watch this again a few times to pick up on all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, awful lot going on there. Um, lots of great, um, well, almost cameos from like Christopher Lee and um, the holographic doctor from Star Trek. And, um, <laughs> you know, I think, that, as, as you kind of say there, Drew, I, I don't know if we could necessarily say it's a better film than the first one, um, uh, given its genesis and kind of how it's plotted and all that. And uh, uh, But it, it's certainly a, it's its own beast, I think, and uh, a, a very worthwhile watch in its own right. And uh, yes, it's arguably something that probably rewards repeat viewing more than uh, Gremlins 1 does, I would think. Uh, yes, uh, interesting little film. Very happy to have watched it again. 
and I shall do so. Oh, I'm de- I will definitely watch it again sometime soon. Hmm. Uh, it's just for you go on Craig it's like, in terms of like repeat viewing too because there, there's so as you say Scott it's so dense there's so many things you could easily miss like the no gizmo t-shirt and the little teddy bear with a noose around his neck and there's, there's just <laughs> so much going on there it's weird because by all accounts uh, the effects studio who created the puppets kind of was it the same one who I, and I've not bothered in the interim to look up who it was. <laughs> is it the same studio again? I don't have the same studio. I know the the puppets guy, like the main special effects guy, was different. The yeah. first guy at that point was he'd done special effects on the fly, and he himself directed the fly too. I think, mm-hmm. um, and so they did a they got a different guy in to do the ones in Gremlins too. So mm. they're kind of in some degrees better. Certainly, they're different because he wanted to put his own stamp on. Um, yeah. So they they do look notably different from the the puppets in the first one. Yeah. It's like the volume of gremlins uh, has increased exponentially. Yes. Ludicrous um, the number of gremlins puppets there are. Absolutely bizarre. And uh, the most impressive thing I think about Gremlins Two is, is the fact that the effects teams rose to the occasion. Because by all accounts, from what I understand, they, they, they struggled on the first film. But I what was it six years between movies. I six, can't. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember if Gremlins Two or Back to the Future Part Three because they were both 1990 uh, production dates, was the first 12-rated film I went to see at the cinema, but I think it was Gremlins 2. And at that age, I was, well, A, (laughs) news just in, I wasn't quite 12. I had to lie (laughs) to the person selling the tickets. But um, I was also incredibly impressionable. And so I have really fond memories of Gremlins 2. And I think I might have watched it once on TV when it premiered on terrestrial TV a couple of years or maybe... I mean, by then, it was like two to three years before something would actually premiere on TV over here, right? I think that was maybe the last occasion where I saw Gremlins 2. So pushing three decades and I had such a memory of this film being absolutely wall-to-wall anarchic, comedic action like the sort of comic and action elements of the first film ramped up so much further that I was kind of disappointed coming back to it now and rewatching it a couple of nights ago in that it didn't live up to my recollection. I am entirely accepting of the fact that that is a problem with my memory and not with the movie itself because I think there's an awful lot to enjoy with Gremlins 2. I think I'm correct in saying that Joe Dante prefers Gremlins 2 by some margin. And like you say, I think the, well, the, the devil as Mogwai translates from Cantonese, I believe, is in the detail. The The background detail in this film is absolutely bananas. I'm not entirely sure that in a lifetime you could perhaps watch it <laughs> enough times to sort of pick up on all the sort of incidental detail and the effort that's been put into sort of in-jokes. And, and I appreciate the, the self-referential nature of the movie. They query... You know, they call out the whole sort of thing about the the midnight conundrum. Phoebe Cates' character 
um, is the butt of a joke uh, that calls back to her Santa stuck in the chimney scene from the first film. It's very, very self-aware. And I think probably all the better for it. I think on this view, though, it's just a victim of, uh, again, those nostalgia goggles that I mentioned uh, in my Gremlins 1 blurb that uh, it didn't quite live up to my memory. And again, that's not a problem of the films. That's very much a problem of my own. If I had to pick one film to recommend over the other, I think I would probably say Gremlins 2 because it's not as though the concept is difficult to pick up. (laughs) I don't think Gremlins offers a lot of backstory that you need to fill in before you can approach (laughs) Gremlins 2. Uh, In fact, the the sort of the weakest elements of this film are the clunky nature with which it brings uh, a sequel audience up to speed with the parameters of the first film. But thereafter, yeah, it's, it's a a great deal of fun and I'm sure pretty much everyone involved had fun and I know that usually that's a, a, a the, the more fun the cast are having probably the worst time the audience are having but it is just a, a massive amount of fun uh, I don't know that I'm going to go back and watch it again anytime soon I think I've probably reached my quotient of gremlins but it's yeah it's inventive I think it's imaginative uh, it's a massive amount of fun, and I would not want to put anyone else, uh, sorry, anyone off from watching it. Yeah, I when I first saw this, and I guess I must have lied at the cinema as well, because I sure saw this in the cinema, it was um, I kind of disappointing to me, I think. I remember, like, I never really liked it all that much. And then I've watched a few times since, and every time I've watched I've enjoyed it more. Silly with sort of uh, increasing critical faculties and experience of the world and things, the whole meta thing mm. has worked a lot more for me as I've gotten older and more experienced. And now sitting in this most recent viewing, which was just today, I watched the two of them back to back, I didn't... I couldn't easily split them in terms of how much I liked them. I still think Gremlins is probably a slightly more accomplished film. Mm-hmm. But then again, as I said in my introduction, it's hard to compare them because... They're so similar, yet at the same time, so very, very different. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's a good deal of fun. There's something about the film that sort of betrays the attitude of, like, Warner Brothers basically had to beg Joe Dante to come back, give him carte blanche, and like, even though the, the puppets were a nightmare, he got more of them in. Uh, it's not a surprise they're so good. The special effects in this were done by Rick Baker, mm. who's known for being quite good. And... It's almost like you said, right, you've begged me to come back. I don't want to do this. Here's what you're getting. And I I kind of feel there's quite a a strong sense of that throughout the film. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. Effects-wise as well, I don't know if recent versions of this have been cleaned up for matte lines and stuff, but you know the sort of wide shots where... uh, There there are two or three wide shots in the film where sort of gizmo is... uh, uh, interacting with the scenery or sort of generally sort of walking about where it's clearly been done in a stop motion way and it, I don't know if it's been cleaned up but if it hasn't it's actually looks pretty good even for you know for 1990 or when, whenever this was uh, weird, I wonder if we've watched different versions of it because like the bits where I thought the special effects didn't work were the two bits we see Gizmo walking yeah. one is in the street scene at the beginning yeah and there's one later, and I thought they looked pretty bad. Whereas all the rest of the stuff looked really good. Yeah. Huh. It's a good deal of fun. I wouldn't want to say to anyone, don't watch it. But again, for a modern audience, I don't know. 
I don't know if you haven't seen it before. Is it essential viewing? Hmm. But what is? Exactly. Who would define such a thing? Uh, yes, that's a weird one. I, I, I don't think you would get as much out of Gremlins 2 if you had not seen Gremlins 1 in the first place. So mm. it, it's maybe not necessary to understand it, but I think it might be necessary to get some of the jokes and references that are going on in it. It might yeah, yeah, frame yeah. it a bit better. Yeah, you're certainly uh, never going to get the, the joke about the Lincoln's birthday. Mm. Yeah. That sort yeah. of thing. So it, it's worth watching both, I would think. I think arguably... For me, at least, Gremlins 2 was funnier, but Gremlins 1 kind of works better as a self-contained film, whereas Gremlins mm. 2 maybe doesn't in that regard. But, yeah, splitting hairs, uh, both, I think, are, are well worth taking a look at. Agreed. Hmm. Yeah, probably agreed. In which case, we'll just wrap this up for today, then. If you'd like to get in touch with us for this or any other reason, then you can do so uh, through email at podcast at fudsonfilm.com or through Twitter at fudsonfilm or facebook.com slash fudsonfilm. And until next time, take care of yourself and each other. I'll bid you adieu. I'm sure these guys will do too. Hi. Fire. The untamed element, oldest of man's mysteries, giver of warmth, destroyer of forests. Right now, this podcast is on fire. Yes, the podcast is on fire. Leave the podcast. Enact the age-old drama of self-preservation. We're all very worried about you, Drew. (laughs) 